here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. This forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Play in puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Some used to say we were their favorite band Gave some folks the best time they ever had There were nights when we could do no wrong And everybody knew when to sing along Good afternoon. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, Carrie Fountain is here in the studio. Carrie, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's great to have you here, and I should say we're taping the program the 13th of September, 2012, and, <laughs> and you're here in town. You're visiting from Texas, mm-hmm. um, and this and you're, you're reading. Uh, you've, you're going to be reading at the Art Museum. Um but now this is history, so hopefully people caught the reading. Right. If not, you're going to be reading some poems we'll here today. We'll do some here today, yeah. And so that'll be brilliant. Um, Carrie, what about this music? You, you, you chose this one to lead us off. It harkens back to Texas. Well, I, I was saying uh, that uh, I'm really partial to this band, the Derailers. They're an Austin band, and... Um, uh, back in the day, we used to uh, go out to the Broken Spoke when I was dating uh, my my husband, and uh, it back was back in the day. Would that be like eleven years ago? Yeah, okay. we, we we started dating about you know we've been together about ten years, but it all started one night on the dance floor at the Broken Spoke. Uh, we were dancing, doing the two step, dancing to the Derailers, and I sort of just it it, it dawned on me. Maybe it had something to do, to do with the Derailers, but it dawned on me that I was I was in love with that guy. And so it's, it's it was uh, we we uh, you know started we we started our relationship that night. <laughs> yeah, it must have been that 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 darn two step. Yeah, yeah, I think so. The Texas two step. How romantic! It's dangerous. <laughs> As is the Broken Spoke. It's yes. a dangerous and wonderful place. It's a wonderful place. <laughs> Last time I went to the Broken Spoke, there was a sign up that said. Do not stand here. The dance floor is for dancing only. You know, I do believe I saw that very yeah, sign as right. well. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just need to put a sign up that says, "Do this is this space is for." I love that the space is for dancing. And do not stand here. Everybody dances. Like, yeah, no matter, and it's like everybody, Old, all young, ages. Yes, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful thing. It is a really beautiful thing. I got to see Dale Watson when I was there. I didn't get yeah. to see the derailers, but I got to see Dale, Dale Watson. Dale Watson is a legend. He doesn't live in Austin anymore, I don't think. I think he moved He moved away. So it must be a big then a big night when he comes back. He, it is a big <laughs> deal when Dale Watson comes to town. It so, is. So you and Kirk are going to be going back to the Broken Spoke. Yes, okay. we do often. We do often. Uh, well, I'm glad you're here. And, um, and thanks for bringing a little bit of Austin into the studio uh, with you today. 
today, Carrie. Um, before we go any further, I should say that we've got your book on the table, um, Burn Lake. This was the winner of the Nat- National Poetry Series selected by Natasha Trethaway. Trethaway, which is a lovely name. I always think of, um, well, whales, but maybe it's not. Welsh or, well, or you know, Cornish. Or, uh, <laughs> you you will get you will hear this name more now because Natasha Trethewey was just named our poet laureate. Oh yes, yeah. Thank you for reminding yeah, me. I actually mm-hmm. did. So, and she chose. She selected your book for the series. Yes, yeah. I'm very very lucky to have had her select my book. She's a, she's not only you know the poet laureate. She also is just a fabulous fabulous poet herself. Oh, yeah. wonderful. Yes, and she's got a, a great blurb on the back here. And and um, thanks to Penguin Books and, and Langan Kingsley, actually, in particular, for sending the book so quickly so I could read it. It's a great book. You must well, thank be. Thank you. And I know, I think you have another, you've got new work that we're going to hear, too. Yeah, I just finished my second collection. And I'm in the, in the process of of doing some final work on it, and we'll we'll hope to start sending it out. I'll send it first to Penguin and then um, elsewhere to see if it can get out into the world. Yes, yes. The ne- the yes. What happens after Burn Lake? I'm sure everyone is, is waiting um, to see. Um, Carrie, I'll read your short bio and then we'll go from there. Carrie Fountain was born and raised in Mesilla, New Mexico. She was a fellow at the University of Texas's Missioner Center for Writers. Her poems have appeared in Crazy Horse, Agni, and Southwestern American Literature, among others. She lives in Austin, Texas, as we've well established, mm-hmm. and teaches at St. Edward's University. Um, that sounds like an idyllic place, St. Edward's. Uh, you know, St. Edward's is, it is really an uh, idyllic place. Uh, it's, it's, a uh, it's, Built on the only hill in uh, in Austin, so it's sort of you, greatest views, um, and it really is a beautiful campus. Wonderful people. It is a great place. Oh, and how long have you been there now, Carrie? I'm starting my fourth year wow. at St. Edwards. Yeah, great. and it's very small. It's very. It's a good place to to teach to be. And and you so you probably know your students well. I do know my students and, well. Wow. I do. I just had my first sort of batch of students who I'd known for a very long time graduate, and that's been a really interesting thing to sort of see the see full them go, cycle of, yeah, yes. and see what's going to happen for them next. You know, sending them off. <laughs> and, then, and and you came to Texas as a student, right? Mm-hmm. Yourself yeah. was that for the the missioner program? Yeah, I, I uh, moved from Al- I was actually living in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, I grew up in a small town, Mesilla, actually, not Mesilla. Oh, oh no, I'm but sorry about everyone that. pronounces it Mesilla now because of. Uh, oh. Sarah Palin. Oh, geez. That's Wasilla. exactly. Yeah. Sadly, that yeah. is exactly but it's the why. Spanish, the what, Mesilla. It means Mesilla, yeah. little table land. They're ma- the Mesa, yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Was, I'm sorry. But no, no, this silly. is, this is every, the way everyone pronounces it. Um, and so this is, I come from a very small town in southern New Mexico, and I was living in Albuquerque at that time. I was teaching second grade. And... Uh, then you know, came went to Austin to study at the Michener Center, and I felt very strongly that I would leave after my four, three years there in graduate school and then return to New Mexico. And you uh, mentioned your dad off air, like he was very much about New Mexico. Well, see, the thing about New Mexico and Texas is that Texas doesn't really know it, but New Mexico, ha- you know, there's a great sense of animosity toward toward Texas because they're bigger and they're Texas and they take our water and you know, the Rio Grande and, you know, so there's always this great animosity, but, you know, Texas doesn't even know that it exists. 
so my parents were, you know, they were happy that I was going to be uh, close by, but I think they were a little disappointed that I'd chosen to to move to Texas. <laughs> and they're still sort of in denial about it. But they do love Austin. Austin is a really wonderful, wonderful, very progressive city in Texas. <laughs> oh, I love Austin. Yeah, it's wonderful. One of the students yesterday was saying, I, I want to, I might apply to school, to go to school in Austin, or yeah, to go to school at UT, but... I don't know about living in Texas. And I said, oh, Austin's not Texas. <laughs> no, it really, well, well, it, it, it is. well, some of the people I know who live there are also, you couldn't be more Texan. Right. But I think those sort of, you know, the just, you know, yeah. plainly the it, conservative, <laughs> you know, that's not Austin. It's not like the Dallas soap opera. Yeah, no. And the. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, so yes. New Mexico figures in to your writing and, yes. and region does mm-hmm. the spirit of place mm-hmm. and and the southern spirit, the Rio Grande mm-hmm. comes in and goes, you, 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 um, so when did you start writing? Because you said you were teaching second grade, mm-hmm. um, but kind of looking back into like the your your formations, were you a, a little kid writer, Carrie? Were you uh, a kid that was... Um, kind of stapling your first books together when you were in third grade or what? Yeah, I mean, I think I probably would have been that kid if I'd grown up in a different place, but... <laughs> yeah, what do you mean? Yeah. I mean, I you know, I think that I, I really started writing in high school and I wrote, I started uh, writing simply because it seemed like the, the, and this is, I think, probably why I continue to write uh, and why many people write, is that it seemed like the easiest way, the easiest place to get to in order to kind of process the experience of living, you know, and and when you're young and especially when you're in your teenage years, that can really be a daunting time. You know, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard time. You're, you're stepping out into um, the adult world. You're becoming a new thing. And I mean, we don't really, we don't really have transitions. I mean, we have big transitions as adults, but we don't have transitions like that. So much as, you know, once we get that, yeah, I mean, adulthood is much longer. Right. And it's but the the step from bumps and nodes, but you can't really it's not as intensified as that time. You really become a totally different person, generally stepping in to adulthood from from adolescence. And I'm I'm always very interested in and I think maybe, you know, this comes across in in Burn Lake. I've, I've always been really interested in adolescence as almost like a setting for for uh, for poetry it's very it's a very dramatic time of life <laughs> and so i think that it's ve- a very ripe um setting for kind of exploring um you know those those parts of experience that are that have a that are kind of are, are are sort of dynamic, like you know, sort of almost black and white things. Um, so in this book, I I thought um, that well, you lead with a poem right. where you're firmly placing us in that 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 teen turmoil. Mm-hmm. Um, the two girls and right. watching. I, I think you're on the hood of a car, yeah, watching the the boys fight. Right, um, right, and I think that in in some ways that that poem experience it's called. Um, and you have a section called experience too, right? That's the first poem in the first section. Uh, experience, maybe would 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 you would you like me to read that poem? I'd love it. All right, I'm so um, worried about any of the about... poems. Any of the poems you want to read today, Carrie? Right. This will be great. All right. Well, I'll <laughs> read this one. I don't think there are any 
curse words in this poem. I'm so paranoid about the curse words. Oh, now. the FCC. It's not Big like, brother. yeah, I'm not, I don't. It's okay. Don't worry. They're not riddled with curse words, but I know that there is at least one in this book and I don't know which poem it's in, but I don't think it's in this one. <clears throat> Experience. When I think of everything I've wanted, I feel sick. There was this one night in winter when Jennifer Scanlon and I were driven out to the desert to be the only girls there when the boys got drunk and chose the weakest among themselves to beat the living crap out of again and again while the night continued in its airy way to say nothing. Sure, I wanted to believe violence was a little bell you could ring and get what you wanted. It seemed to work for those boys who'd brought strict order to the evening using nothing more than a few enthusiastic muscles. Even when he'd begun bleeding from his nose, the boy stayed. It was an initiation. That's what he believed. Thank God time keeps erasing everything in this steady, impeccable way. Now it's like I never lived that life, never had to, sitting on a tailgate while Jennifer asked for advice on things she'd already done, watching the stars ferment above, adoring whatever it was that allowed those boys to throw themselves fists first at the world, yell every profanity ever made into the open ear of the universe. I believed then that if only they'd get quiet enough, we'd hear the universe calling back, telling us what to do next. Of course, if we'd been quiet, we would have heard nothing, and that silence, too, would have ruined us. Yeah, I think that in a way that this poem is, I, I led with this poem because um, uh, aside from the, some, from the many poems in this book that are set, that are sort of uh, narrative, first-person narrative poems, um, there, there's a, there are a couple of other things that are, I am exploring in this book, and one of them is the sort of history of the area where I'm from, this uh, southern, well, New Mexico, specifically southern New Mexico, in the Chihuahuan Desert, on the border, um, near El Paso, Texas, and Juarez, Mexico. Um, and just uh, sort of thinking about, you know... Uh, the way that, or sort of thinking about the, um, in particular, one conquistador, Don Juan de Oñate, who came through uh, the area in the beginning of the 1600s and sort of, you know, conquered the land. He's a conquistador. <laughs> that was his <laughs> That's job. That's what they do. <laughs> That's what they do. And sort of thinking about um, history and progress and violence and, um, and so in some ways, I, I, I really was hoping that some of these narrative poems here, and I, I think some of them succeed more than others, like experience, could in some way mirror those 
those elements, but set in a kind of personal narrative, you know. Yeah. So I think that, and I think that's, I'm really interested in the way that poetry can do that. Uh, the poet Sharon Olds, I heard an interview with her once, um, uh, sort of when I was in the middle of writing this book and feeling like it was just a book of personal narratives and who wants to read this and it's self-indulgent and all the criticisms that are lodged at narrative poets. Um, and I heard her say that any poem that is about a power a, a power dynamic, whether it be a, a government against a people or a history and and you know like this like the you know the 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 spanish conquest of 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 uh, New Mexico versus the you know, people who were already living in that in that place at that time, or if it is a relationship between, and I think she likened, you know, a relationship between a brother and a sister, or a father and a daughter. Still, the power dynamic. Right. That any uh, any uh, poem or piece of artwork that kind of draws attention to that is a political poem. So that really helped me frame or, or helped me think about the value of personal narratives. And, um, you know, and I'm not saying that these are autobiographical by any means, but they are first person narratives. And, you know, so so those are some of the things I was trying to do with the book. And so I like I, I like that the book starts with that poem, because I think also those personal narratives are a little bit more accessible. They kind of welcome you into the book where uh, the poems uh, and that you know where the poems that are more sort of dealing with history straight more straightforwardly with the history of the area um, are kind of doing something uh, different. Yes, mm-hmm. Carrie, thank you. We're gonna take let's take a short break, okay. and then we'll come back. We'll hear some more of the music that you've chosen okay. for the program, and but we'll take a short break. You've got living writers today on the program. Carrie Fountain is here. Her book of poems, Burn Lake. We'll be back. Welcome back. 
If you're just joining us, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Carrie Fountain is here on Living Writers today. And and a thank you to Tex for engineering. And a thank you for Gus for coming in, sitting in. Um, Carrie Fountain is here in the house, her book of poems, Burn Lake, uh, out with Penguin Books. Um, and that we're, and Carrie's chosen the music too. So we were just sort of, uh, that song was so, so beautiful yeah. and haunting. It's a beautiful it? song and it, it's like 15 minutes long. And what's really interesting about that song is that it gets, it, it seems at least to get, it's, that's Jillian Welch, it seems to get slower and slower. As it goes, it's a really, it's a really heartbreaking song, but it's wonderful. It's beautiful. Is, is that about us getting older? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> so, Gary, when we left off at the break, um, you you had read, um, you had read the the first poem in the book, Experience, um, for us, and we were talking about um, the sections also briefly, mm-hmm. then the three. Um, and so that's interesting to think about that, that, that you've, that you chose three sections, experience, progress, and in history, mm-hmm. like I in history, mm-hmm. in history, not just history. Right. Um, and, but, but what's interesting too, you, you're working with poems in series. Mm-hmm. For example, the title poem Burn Lake is a series of poems that right. runs through the book. Right, El Camino right. Real and Oñate, like you had said, this conquistador. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Oñate, I should tell you a little bit about Oñate. It's so funny that you mentioned Burn Lake is a series of poems because I always forget about that series of poems and I forget that Burn Lake is in this book even though the book is called Burn Lake. Wow, how so, Carrie? (laughs) So maybe let me tell you a little bit about Burn Lake and then we'll talk more about Oñate. So I think that there are kind of three levels. Like I said, I I liked to kind of mix all of these elements into those personal narratives. I read, like, as I read in uh, Experience, or I read Experience, and I think you can see some of that there, and echoes of these other elements. Um, So Burn Lake, which is such an... A great name for a lake. Uh, I can't take credit for that. This is the first poem in the book is called, or the first Burn Lake poem in the book is called Burn Lake, and it's dedicated to Burn Construction Company, which is uh, this is the company that uh, was building the I-10 bypass through my hometown in well, or the nearby town in, near my hometown of Las Cruces, New Mexico, and anyone who's driven from you know L.A. to Austin or L.A. to Florida, anyone who's driven you drive through Las Cruces. It's a very common place to stop when you're on your way, for, or at least like for, you know, Austin, San Antonio to L.A. People always say, oh, I've stopped in Las Cruces and spent the night there. <laughs> and I-10 figures into right. poems yeah. here as well. That, 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 that being our, our biggest interstate highway, our longest interstate highway. So the story of Burn Lake, um, and maybe I'll just read this poem since it's probably shorter and easier to read this poem than to tell you the story of Burn Lake. This is the story of Burn Lake. When you, were, when you were building the I-10 bypass, one of your dozers moving earth at the center of a great pit slipped its thick blade beneath the water table, slicing into the earth's wet palm, and the silt moistened beneath the huge thing's tires, and the crew was sent home for the day. Next morning, water filled the pit. Nothing anyone could do to stop it coming. It was a revelation kidney-shaped, deep green, there between the interstate and the sewage treatment plant. When nothing else worked, 
You called it a lake and opened it to the public, and we were the public. And that's the story of Burn Lake. Yes. I love that poem. And so there are a lot of stories, there are a a number of poems. I think there are like four or five Burn Lake poems. And so that's kind of like almost like the, just kind of to give a sense of the, of the, of the uh, municipal, almost the municipal history. (laughs) Um, But on a, but on a larger scale, um, the way that this conquistador enters into this collection. um, So. Don Juan de Oñate was sent by the Viceroy of New Spain. This is, of course, Mexico, modern-day Mexico. Mexico, New Spain. right, was conquered by Spain. And um, Oñate was uh, sent by the Viceroy to, um, well, I think they called it spread Catholicism, you know, which means colonize. I mean, we all know how, how well spreading Catholicism goes. Uh, as you know, we've seen in the Inquisition and other, um, <laughs> and other places. Um, so, uh, so Don Juan de Oñate sets out in 1598 from Mexico City with this, you know, mile-long caravan through the desert. I mean, really, the desert. Um, there's he a, was the chosen one, somehow. <laughs> right? For yeah, right. For for whatever reason, he was sent. Um, he actually ended up, interestingly enough, marrying uh, a woman who was the granddaughter of Hernan Cortez and the great granddaughter of Montezuma. Um, so that's you know that's an interesting yes. bloodline there and, and some truly a- the attachment mestiza. to the land. Yeah, right, right. So he goes off. Um, and really, I mean, the way I sort of imagine them, it's almost like a Monty Python, you know, sketch (laughs) because really they're, they're going through this vast desert that is not, um, you know, that has not been settled in the traditional sense, though there are Native American tribes all throughout New Mexico and Pueblos. Um, but there's just miles and miles of desert and they're stopping every once in a while and, you know. I claim this land for Spain, you know, and doing these little ceremonial things in the middle of the desert. Um, and so I was fascinated. So you researched this, Yeah, I Carrie. did some research, this was, yeah. Was this at, what form did that take? Because you seem, you have a, such a facility with it. Like, is it something that you did as you were writing these poems because it came well, to you? Or was it something you happened upon at this 1598 well, you can't. You, you know, what's interesting is that I mean, you know, I guess that history is 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 written by the victors, and I've always been very fascinated by the idea. Even even as a younger person, I was fascinated by the idea. I mean, you can't drive down the street in in Las Cruces without coming across, you know, the Oñate strip mall, or and there's a there's a new high school. Oh, no, it's, it's not new anymore. Every but, day, yes, in their building, you know, there's a, an Oñate high school, and it just always seemed so strange to me that we we celebrated it in this way with with in this almost unquestioning way while you know this is this is what eventually of course history this is what eventually led to the you know um uh, you know native american populations being being you know either wiped out or or scattered or put on reservations i mean not not necessarily only by the spanish but this is what was coming right this is what came before um was the Spanish conquest of the area. And so I've always been really fascinated with that idea that we, and I'm not the only person who's fascinated with the idea that we celebrate Oñate. Um, so Oñate 
Uh, so, so first of all, Onyate set out, and when I was reading these documents, I was reading the contract that he'd signed with the Viceroy of New Spain as he set out for Mexico City, and one thing that struck me, uh, and really kind of led to, to me incorporating this story into this book, was this writer uh, in the contract that he signed with the, with the, gov- uh, with the Viceroy. Sorry. Um, it says... If in the said provinces, right, the provinces of modern-day New Mexico, if in the said provinces any seaports should be found on the North Sea, you shall notify the Viceroy of New Spain telling him the news and giving him an accurate report of the configuration of the coast and the capacity of each harbor. And, you know... Of of course, this this not only points out that, that, that they're looking at opportunities to, you know... For trade, um, for trade, for, right? That's, that's right. <laughs> aside from aside from said, spreading Catholicism, <laughs> right? Um, uh, yeah, so we can bring more priests right. <laughs> and boats, <laughs> Which, right? Um, and I, so th- there are so many things that are fascinating about that, but but obviously the most the most obvious thing is just how little they knew about where they were headed, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, this is this mm-hmm. is like adolescence, you know? How little we know about where we're headed. The idea, and not only, <laughs> not only is it inaccurate to 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 think one might come upon the North Sea traveling, I guess, you know, you know, traveling through New Mexico, but also, I mean, it really is the opposite, the exact opposite of that. They they travel through some of the most grueling desert, the, certainly the most grueling, grueling landscapes in America. Um, and, you know, there's a big patch of land in the center of New Mexico called the Jornada del Muerto, which is really the journey of death. You know, this is where people die. You know, because the 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 uh, the Rio Grande goes off into the mountains, and there, you know, so um, and you have to kind of travel through this patch um, with no water. With access. no water, right? Um, so it just seemed a perfect, yes. a perfect. Uh, a little element, um, a, a perfect story to kind of incorporate into uh, into the book, and also, you know, I I'm, I, w- I am fascinated by by you know by by that by the idea of history and the idea of what we consider progress and the idea of what we sort of what we celebrate and what we forget and who wins and who loses and how we get there and even in that that beginning the poem that I read earlier experience with those boys that you know that violence like how we use violence to sort of establish things and and you and know the creation of burn lake with the violence right. to the, the land <laughs> right. and, and you say into the palm right right and yeah i'm sorry carrie let's take a short break okay, we'll great. come right back we'll take a really short one you're listening to wcbn fm ann arbor i'm t hetzel today on the program carrie fountain is here her book burn lake we'll be back Little joint 
magic city to join. Mr. Johnson sings over in a corner by the bar. Soul is so the devil, so he can play guitar. Too cool to be forgotten. Hey, hey. Too cool to be forgotten. Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, I'm glad you did. I'm T. Hetzel today. Carrie Fountain is here. Um, her book, Burn Lake, out with Penguin Books. Um, and that song is so great. Lucinda Williams. Oh, she's, she's wonderful. Too cool to be forgotten. That reminds me of the Liz... Uh, who engineered the show? She's too cool to be forgotten. Too cool. To be, I also love that poem because that song. I'm sorry, not poem, but that song takes place in a bar. Yes. And I grew. My father owns a bar. That's how I grew up in a bar. My father. Uh, my father inherited, not inherited, but took over the business from his father, who took it over from his father, and now my brother um, has taken it over from my father. So it's a very long-established bar in Mesilla, New Mexico, on the plaza in Mesilla. What's the name of the bar? It's called El Patio. And it was opened. Um, rather what are the hours? No, I know, right, right. <laughs> Close on Mondays. Um, uh, rather suspiciously, I like to tease my father. Uh, it was opened, I think, three months after prohibition was repealed. Uh, what were they doing? You know, three Only months quiet group, things, right. playing chess, obviously, <laughs> right? But yeah, that's lovely. Well, there's so there. You mentioned that there are autobiographical notes. These are narrative yeah, poems, right? That many, mm-hmm. um, but but and that's one of them because you you allow that into the because there's yeah uh, yeah there are a couple of poems that sort of mention the bar or my father's bar. Yeah, um, you know, is, gr- are there things that you then purposely when you're imagining? Well, not purposely. That sounds. I don't know. That's not the right word. But um, so when are the times when you depart from the autobiographical? Um, is it do you find that those are conscious decisions or just things that are happening that that work better for the moment or the story or the truth? Yeah, of the that's poem a good question. Or, I think for most for I don't know. I can't say for speak most for everyone. People. Carrie, I know, come yeah. on. <laughs> for me, at least, I think that when I start writing a poem that has some sort of autobiographical thing to it that usually what I'm doing is I'm flailing around trying to make something and then if it if it sort of takes you know if I if I have a mistake or make a mistake that leads to something good then it starts becoming something and I can I then then the the sort of you know truth of what actually happened becomes very unimportant and I also think that that you know I I really love my husband's a playwright, and I really love um, what I what I love to have learned from him is 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 the the very the pleasure of of drama, right? Of of dramatizing, and very few things that have ever happened to me in my real life are are actually dramatic. Um, if I relied on them, uh, it would feels dramatic in Burn Lake, <laughs> right? But I mean, you know, if I relied on the fact, just the facts, yes. ma'am, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be very dramatic. So, you know, and I encourage my my beginning students who, you know, when I ask them to to sort of start with their their own memories and own experiences, especially just to get them to understand that they are the experts of in this field. This, you know, you're an expert in this field. No one can write this poem but you. Um, they, they sometimes get really preoccupied with the questions of, well, 
what if I don't remember everything exactly the right way? And, you know, this isn't a deposition. It's a poem. You know, I'm not really concerned with what actually happened. You know, the poem, I'm, I'm, I want to, I want your, you're, you're using this as a starting point. So, um, yeah. So a lot of these poems are sort of based, loosely and, based on people I knew or experiences I've had or, you know, my, my family's history, perhaps. But they're not really – I don't think any, any one of them has uh, – is, is, is even 75 percent true to what – you know, this is what actually happened that day or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For example, I'm thinking of a, one of – like a poem where – your mom would probably say, I was just giving you the feminine products. <laughs> and I love how they sort of shout across the room. To yeah. you or so, so, or to the character yeah, in the poem, yeah, not, yeah, to, yeah. not to you, but um, yeah. to the reader. To, well, the, you in the poem. Yes. Yeah. I in the poem. <laughs> yes. The tricky language of talking about right. the creation. Right. That's the poem. Well, so... So Carrie, this is this is are some of the the themes that you're or your concerns rather not themes that's such a ah, dusty word, um, but your concerns and what you believe about the political poem. Do you find in your new work like what what's happening now? <laughs> that's a good question. What is happening now? <laughs> um, you know, this new book is really different. It's it's really different, and I'm proud of that. I'm proud that it's very different. I really, you know, I'm I'm very I'm a beginner really um, at this craft. And I, you know, when you publish your first book, you I, I definitely I at least had the sense of that was it. Those were all the poems I had. I don't have any more. And what am I going to do? And I, you know, and there's no there's nowhere else to go. And I can't write this book again. And what if I just keep writing this book again and again and again? And now I'm sort of so far away from this from this book that I I actually the sensation is more or the feeling is more like I can't I can't imagine writing this book again so um, my new book is really a lot about um, you know a lot of the poems in my new book come out of um, the 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 years you know in the last say eight or so years I've really tried to make writing a daily practice and so a lot of the poems that come out of that that became the second book are come out of that daily practice and perhaps because of that um, they they seem to me to be more uh, interested in looking at uh, you know how we form. Uh, this sounds so vague, but how we sort of form meaning and how we um, how we sort of go go about our everyday lives and um, both attend to the the mundane tasks that make up our days, as well as sort of seeing a bigger a bigger picture and sort of questioning, having those bigger questions about. What what are we doing here, and who are we, and who, you know? And I think maybe a lot of a lot of my my new work is informed um, by uh, having had a child in between Burn Lake and this book. Um, uh, you know, I definitely feel like. <laughs> 
you know when you you know you you have friends you have like friends who have a baby and they act like they're the first people who've ever had a baby and you're just like oh my god that is so annoying well I totally became that person and I became the you know my husband and I but you know I think that but I but, think if you're aware of it it's different right and I, I mean there's no doubt that 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 you know you know growing a baby inside your body and having a baby is a a true look at the utter miracle that is the 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 bizarre yeah the strangeness the strangeness <laughs> yes. of where life comes from and this is who how we, we do are. it and who we are and this is and um you know so in some ways i think that uh i think that i don't think i'm alone as a as a woman uh and a feminist poet feeling um you know like there's uh I think that there, I, I feel maybe, you know, I feel like there's been a sense that writing poems about having babies and about the body and about um, that experience of being a woman are, I think that they're sometimes kind of, um, you know, uh, pushed aside or, or, you know, it's sort of made to, you know, well, then now it's a political poem, right? And so, in, I think in this way, <laughs> I think it really is like it is very important that we write poems about about having babies and about being bodies and about you know um, about about that experience. And I, I tend to feel, I mean, maybe this isn't maybe this is a sexist thing to say, but I tend to feel this is definitely a sexist thing to say that if men could have children. That there would be very few other subjects of for in poetry, you know, there would be there would be very few other things that we would we would sort of take as an as an this is a this is a subject for poetry, right? This you is, know, this is making life. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, not that the not that the entire book is about 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 having a baby or or raising a baby or having a child or making life, but um, I think some of the things that come along with that experience. But those are your those yeah. are your structural title your your titles, right, Carrie? Each of those? No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> well, it's actually funny that you the book is called the talent of the body, so it is kind of. <laughs> It really is sort of hitting the nail, not to hit the nail too, you know, not to hit the nail on the head, but yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So that's, that's the, that's what, that's what this next book is about. And of course I've come to the end of this and I think, oh my God, I don't know what I'm going to do next, you know? Um, so, but I, I'm sure that it will come. I'm just going to keep writing every day and keep going and yeah. keep going, keep going. Yes. That's not good stopping. words of wisdom there. Yeah. Keep just going. keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and so for the day-to-day poems that so that was a shift for you that was a challenge like every day like a new like that practice did you have or was it because that was a different way of thinking about your art yeah so for you that was a a huge shift and also a risk to Mm. write something that maybe that you were thinking people i as you were saying like why we were saying now these poems are also political because women should be right. talking about mm-hmm. the body or the mm-hmm. giving birth. Um, and so um, 
is that how how did you come to those every day like did you, you think, oh no no those so i'm sorry yeah so so a lot of the poems in in this book are are sort of about that but the, the a lot of the poems in this book also just came from the practice of writing a poem every day and working for a set amount of time every morning and really just trying to 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 move my relationship with writing from this um feeling that I needed to be inspired to do it, to really making it a practice. And in doing that, I think that I came to feel like um, it it in some way mirrored or be, maybe even became uh, the, the closest thing that I have found a, in a lasting way to be like or to be itself a kind of a spiritual or a religious practice. And so that's what I mean by those daily poems coming. That's where those a lot of those daily poems turned into poems for this new book. And because of that, I think that in some of those in that some of those poems are about a lot of the poems in this book are there's a very long series of poems that go throughout goes throughout this new book that are just simply called prayer and they're not it's a numbered series of poems and most of those are from that daily practice or started in that daily practice and are sort of about that. They end up sort of being about that as well. But that all sounds very vague. Maybe when we come back, I'll actually read one or Let's something. Let's do that. We'll yeah. take a short break, okay. and then we'll come back, and we will we will definitely hear some of these poems. Today on the program, Carrie Fountain is here. We've heard poems from her book, Burn Lake. We'll hear some new work when we come back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Carrie Fountain is here in the studio. Her book, Burn Lake. Um, and now, as promised, new poems. New poems. Sure. Do you have a, a title for the, the a working title? 
Carrie oh, for, for the, the book. Then. So, like I said, it's it's called the talent of the body. Oh yes, sorry. Yeah. But yes. you know what? I keep telling <laughs> people that. that. No, this is so. This is so. <laughs> this is funny because it, it really is a working title, and I keep telling people the title, and I think that you know maybe I need a new title. <laughs> I think I might. I might no, no, keep no. working on no, the title. No, no, that was just a little me long. having a complete no. <laughs> a, a space moment there. Because, well, what I it, it reminds me too that with Burn Lake that you said you forget that it's titled that. So that made yeah. me think. Oh, it wasn't. That wasn't something that you always felt was a superstructure for the, yeah, the, no, the no. group of poems. Yeah, no. And so, how did you how did you decide it was Burn Lake that was the but yes. Well, I think that it's just such a strange name for a lake, you know? Who wants to go swimming in Burn Lake? And it is near the sewage treatment plant, too. So, you know, it really is a complicated place. It is actually no longer open to the public because it was full of, like, you know, Giardia or something, unfortunately. And they also found a body in Burn Lake recently in the last few years. Someone had driven their car off the highway into Burn Lake, I guess, as a, as a suicide. Um, so, but we spent a lot of time there in the seventies when I was growing up. When it was new and, and fresh yeah. and yeah. green water, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> it was it was perfect. Lots of ducks and fish. They've stocked it full of fish. It was the only place. You know, there aren't a lot of swimming holes in southern New Mexico, so no, we, we took no. we took what we could. And and we the public. I love how that makes a, a declarative in that <laughs> moment, and it makes I can see where you're coming from with these as political poems. Like right, I, right there, it's like it's like we the people, right, in some and way. it's. It's also sort of, I think, making a statement, too, about development and sort of what the public wants and what we get. And, you know, the big thing in my hometown recently is that they opened an olive garden. So everyone's been really excited about going to the olive garden. And, to you know, for, for many of us, that sort of is a signal of, you know... For, I'm sure for many small restaurant owners in, right. in Las Cruces, that is a signal of bad times to come, no, not necessarily no. the, the best. The best. So Go to El Patio. El Patio. El Patio Bar. I love that this is becoming... Closed Mondays, <laughs> but all other days and nights. You know, open. I have to just, I do have to give a shout out for, the El, for El Patio. It is, it is kind of a dive. It's got a dance hall. It's really old, old school. And uh, a few years ago, it was actually named in me- in the, the, you know, prestigious uh, journal Men's Health magazine. Oh, Men's Health. Men's Health <laughs> was named one of the 50 best bars in America. Oh, so, my. Well, you know, that must have spiked the the. The clientele with the the abs coming in at the very least. Show me the abs. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't know why I I had to bring that up. Don't take the conversation that way. Um, But the talents of the body, right? The The talents of the the body. And well, let me see. Like I said, I, I mentioned those prayer poems. So why don't I just read one of these prayer poems? I'll read prayer 10. And uh, these are new, so forgive me if I stumble over reading them, since I haven't I haven't had a chance to read many of these aloud in front of people before. Well, so then de- this is a, a Living Writers debut. Yes. So this is called Prayer Ten. You think it's in the skull, behind the eyes, a room you make and then walk into. You think it's the feeling of desperate thirst that sometimes arises only after you've begun to drink deeply. 
when it's only ever really been the feeling you got when finally, after many weeks of staring at the impeccable outline the dove's body left when it crashed into your office window, open-winged, and died, you finally hung your ass out onto the ledge and wiped it away with a damp Kleenex, the completion of a perfect and miserable task. Most often, there is nothing, really nothing, and the whole thing feels like an idea you gave yourself, like hypochondria, or even more distant, the memory of hypochondria. And even that idea is a place you can't be right now, because right now you are in the car, waiting out the endless light at the corner of MLK and Congress, when the baby suddenly says, Song, Mommy, song, now, looking at you from her car seat through the rearview mirror with that grave and hilarious expectancy. And you are looking for the CD, and you are playing the song. That's an homage to DJs there. I didn't realize it. There yeah. you go. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Sir. Roar from the crowd. <laughs> so that's kind of what those... I mean, that one's a little bit different than the others. Um, How so? Uh, but that's kind of what... That's what I mean. There's sort of, you know, more of thinking, thinking about um, looking in and looking out and... Yeah, um, that, and the idea and the memory of the hypochondria. I love the humor that comes right, in here. Right, yeah, in the I, poems. Yeah, I, I think that I think you know nothing is. I was talking with a class of poets last night, and was we were talking about um, speaking of 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 spiritual things. Speaking of, you know, if it's spiritual or if it's religious, that it's so difficult to approach subjects like that. Mm-hmm. And have meaningful conversations about things like that, um, and that in a classroom, or, or in poetry, in your work, or in anything, you know, it's it's hard to uh, approach those subjects mm-hmm. that have, you know. So, and I think that you know, there's nothing worse than talking to someone who has a very, a very not well. That there are many things that are worse than this, but there, there, there's there's something stifling about having a conversation or entering into a conversation with someone who is very certain. You know about one way or another. One really. way or another, right? And that I think that's what I what I uh, in these poems. Mo- many of them are, are they're 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 called prayer, but they're really about the difficulty of of getting there and the the things that you do in your mind and in your in your life and the way you know that that you, where you try to get there and, and and fail most often. Most often you fail, and. Um, you know, I, if 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 that's all that there is to be honored, then I would rather honor that than not. You know, <laughs> honoring failure. Here, here, <laughs> yeah. Here. Well, I think it's brave also that you're titling these prayers. Uh, I just took that word out of a, a poem because I was feeling it was yeah. people would it would tilt people right. away from it. So yeah. I love that it's just right up there and then it There's asks just, you to consider something in a new way yeah and i think that there you know i tried I, I i'm not particularly happy with that with that title but um there's not really other anything it's just that's what it is that's what it is yeah know? yeah and i think in look yeah, at your was, opening too um carrie where you have it's like the room behind the eye um mm-hmm. that makes me think of now i i have a different understanding of why for your epigraph you've picked um 
Henri Michaud. Michaud, mm-hmm. yes, he's With wonderful. Surrealism and this, mm-hmm. um, because you have this room behind your eye now, right? Yeah, he's so great. That that quote is so wonderful. What is this? Can I read it? Oh, the oh, epigraph yes. to yeah. this book, to Burn Like, is this quote by Henri Michaud that says. Oh, gosh, where is it? I'm sorry. Oh, I have a dog ear. Here. You got it. You you are now, and I I love also the way that this plays into the idea of the continent, meaning, you know, in the the book. You are now on the continent of the insatiate. At least no one can deprive you, even destitute, of that. You know, the wanting, (laughs) right? You're on the the continent of the insatiate. You, that should be in a teen punk yeah, song, like yeah. a, right? Right. Because like that adolescence, it's that, yeah. all of that, the desire. Yeah. And what, then the desire to want to be and, something and else stopped. and to transform and, yourself yes. into something else and to just the want, the the pure want that drives us through. And how you begin the book, Burnley. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Well, like, do we have time for one yes, more? Yes, yes, that would be super. Let's, I think that's yes. something that you're supposed to be saying. Yeah. And look at now I'm saying it. Do we have time for one more? You're a natural. <laughs> but uh, I, th- I would love to just end with this poem, I Wish I Had a Guru, which I think is a, a, one of the kind of more um, centerpiece poems in this new book and is, is kind of approaching that in the same in the same way. So this is... A, a, oh, and could we do yeah. a quick shout out to Naomi Nye? Oh, my gosh. To, to say... Hello out there. Hello, Nay. My my daughter, my two year old, calls her Nene. Hi, Nene. Isn't that wonderful? I was putting my daughter to sleep the other night, and she said, kind of dreamily, as she was laying in my arms, she said, "She's only two, so she said, Mommy, Nene is my sister.' (laughs) I don't know where she got that. We've been talking a little bit about. Wait, do you know what a sister is? Do you know what a brother is? Um, And so she she's decided that Nene is her sister. Someone close. Yes. Someone that we all love very much. She's wonderful, Naomi Shihab Nye. She's the best. I owe, I owe almost everything to her. She's been my greatest teacher and a wonderful friend as well. Yeah. Okay, so I wish I had a guru. And then, and then we'll, we'll maybe wrap it up. Okay. I wish I had a guru. <gasps> this one has a cuss word in it. <laughs> so I will just, I will just, uh, I will just replace it with another word. I wish I had a guru. I want a bad one, the kind who takes all the measly particulars of life and works them into one simple effed thing. A wad of gum a child is forced to spit into her mother's upturned palm before entering the public library. A cloud far off emitting a song you can almost place but can't place. Was that song playing the night I drove myself to the emergency room? I wish I could be brainwashed because brainwashing sounds great, like the feeling you get when you stand up too quickly and sense you're going to faint, but know in the same instant that you're not going to faint. That feeling like standing next to yourself, like starting all over again in white, Legs shaved, hair cleanly parted, like sound check, one, two, one, two, until your soiled, crying life sees you through the crowd and rushes to you, reaching you just as you're pushing through the emergency exit, just as the alarm bells go off stingingly, grabbing hold of your thigh, claiming you 
so that you understand suddenly and only for an instant that you are one being inside one body, sealed, exquisite, animate, that you were made from others and came from a far, unseeable place, a source which cannot be traced, and that you will continue to take what you are handed and run. You will run as far and as fast as you can with whatever breath you have right up until the end. That feeling it's like sliding your two hands beneath the whole frosted cake of your life, lifting it carefully from the platter and shoving it into your face, the whole time saying, oh, now this is a really bad idea. <laughs> Thank you, Carrie. <laughs> Carrie Fountain, um, today on Living Writers. Her book, Burn Lake, and then these new, look for these new poems that will be coming out in your favorite literary journal soon, no I hope doubt. So. I hope so. um, it's, and thank you so much, Carrie, for being on the program. Thank you so much for having me, T. Thank you, Tex. Thank you, Gus. <laughs> Come back anytime. I'd love to. <laughs> um, thanks to everyone out there for listening. I'm T. Hetzel. You've, you've been listening to Living Writers. Carrie found her book, Burn Lake. Until next time. Down by a curval river, slow, silent, thick and black. I stared into the water, and the water it stared back. The night it fell from tangles of the branches on the shore. As it had on a This is Free Speech Radio News for Wednesday, September 19th, 2012. In Los Angeles, I'm Dorian Marina. Coming up, in Chicago, schools reopen for students after teachers suspend their strike, but some say the battle for public education continues. As Arctic sea ice reaches historically low levels, we'll look at the effect on local communities and the global climate. There are a number of companies that are eager to start drilling in the Arctic, and the faster the ice melts, the longer the season they have there to do their drilling. And we'll take you to Syria's largest city, Aleppo, where intense fighting has disrupted daily life and driven local residents from their homes. Those stories and more coming up after this news. I'm Jess Burns with headlines for FSRN. Hundreds of people protested in the streets of Tbilisi, Georgia today after shocking images from the country's prisons gained national attention. The online video shows inmates being beaten up and sodomized by prison guards. FSRN's MJ Devaye reports from the Capitol. Accounts of ill treatment in Georgian prisons have been available online for a while. But after local opposition TV channels aired the images, the videos gained national attention. In one, a male prisoner is sodomized with something that looks like a police baton. In another, a group of guards is kicking a prisoner on the floor. 
the authorities have not disputed the image's authenticity. The government minister in charge of prisons resigned this morning. President Mikhail Saakashvili quickly condemned the abuses and promised that those responsible would be prosecuted. He said the staff at every prison in the country has been suspended and that police would be deployed to take over.